0: Thank you again for being here and uh, for joining us online. Uh, We know that there is still sicknesses going through the valley, colds, blues, and even COVID. And I encourage you to continue to pray for the church family. And if you're not feeling well and you chose to stay home, uh, I'm going to say good morning to you online uh, this morning. And again, just kind of a repeat, um, you know, the women. Uh, Really appreciated yesterday, you know, they handed out masks, and they, I guess there's a new thing called restaurant rules, where, you know, they they wore masks, and then when they were eating, they they took them off, and and it's just very respectful, very loving, and that's what we've always been uh, striving after during this entire time, is to love and self-sacrificially honor one another, uh, wherever you are. So uh, if you're ill and you need to stay home, that's great right? We we appreciate that. And uh, if you are comfortable wearing a mask here for yourself or for others, we we honor that as well. So just, again, um, you know, I know it's been a journey the last year and a half, and sometimes in our flesh, we're like, is this going to get over? And when is this going to be over? And soon, you know, I don't know about you. uh, You remember being a kid, or if you've had kids, when you're taking a long trip, and you know, the classic question, are we there yet? (laughs) Right? And you know that as soon as, your child gets to, are we there yet? They've gone into a different frame of mind, right? They want this to be over. They were excited to go to Disneyland until they hit LA traffic, right? Are, are we there yet? How much longer? What's taking so long? I'm hungry. I got to use the bathroom, right? And, and that excitement and that zeal wore off. Well, sometimes even in, in the flesh, and, and you know, I think about what we've been going through this pandemic the last year and a half, sometimes we're all, even as a church, are we there yet? And I just want to encourage you, we choose every week to celebrate that we're here today. Amen. We're on this planet for another day of life, that you wake up every day and say, thank you, Lord, that, that we just are here. And we don't know what will happen, but, but thank you, God, that you're ultimately in control of everything. And uh, if we get to gather, if you're well enough to join us here uh, at 10 a.m., great. If you have to be home um, and you're joining us live or later in the week, great. We just want to celebrate that we still have the freedom and privilege to do this in whatever capacity we can. Amen? Okay, so we're just going to continue to navigate this together. And if you've ever had this, are we there yet? Can this be over, please? Um, we're with you. We understand. And it's just a choice we make. And we literally, we meet at 8 a.m. Sunday mornings as a team, and, and we truly celebrate that we get to do this. And we don't know. Like I said, every Sunday is a one-off, this unique gathering of you here in person, and you with us live, this is a one-off. This is a unique gathering for such a time as this, and you're not here by accident, and every Sunday we, we celebrate that we get to do this, and we're faithful to do that. So I just wanted to you know, let you know that, yeah, we're aware of this illness is going through the valley still, in whatever capacity, and just want to stay unified. We just want to stay unified as a church family, and just keep loving God and loving one another like we're supposed to. Amen? Okay, great. Uh, Typically on Sunday mornings, I get here, you know, what we call, oh, dark 30, and today, again, I got here just as the sun was barely coming up, and my truck said 30, I think it said 32 degrees right when I turned into the driveway, and when it gets that cold, you know, I park over there, and every once in a while when it's that cold, uh, once I turn off my uh, my truck, I hear that windmill going a hundred about 100 yards that way in that field right there, and it's cold, and I get it. It's one of those big wind turbines that are designed, you know. And, and my first thought, again, is, row, someone's not going to be happy about that because those are loud. Those are loud. And and I I was walking in, and it just got me thinking, like, man, I wonder what it's like to live, like, in these houses right here when, when that thing kicks in. And whenever it kicks in, maybe it's temperature-triggered, temperature, temperature triggered, right? And then it, it finally went off a little after 7, I guess, when it got into the 40s or whatever it did around here. And, and I was thinking about, you know, how does that work? And, you know, kind of a, just started pondering it. That's how my mind, you know, I'll fixate on, I don't know how that works, right? And and from there, it, it, it kind of triggered me. I don't know if you guys remember, when I was like this big or whatever, there was a book that came out, uh, really kind of popular, and it was like uh, how things work or the way things work. I don't know, it was an illustrated book where, where you know, they talk about windmills and technology and airplanes and cars, right? The way things work or how things work. And you know, got me thinking, I wonder how that works. And you know, and, and like, you ever wonder like, it, it's interesting because many of us don't, maybe don't even care about how things work. Like, it's just my phone. I don't know how it works. Like, how is that possible, right? I, I push a button and I can FaceTime my granddaughter. Like, how does that work? Like, you know, you ever sit at home and you're watching a sporting event live? And you're like, how does that work? They're like shooting a a camera at these players, and somehow it's getting to my house in real time. Like, how does that work? Right? And then then your brain gets all fried. You're like, I don't care. Just just turn up the volume, right? I mean you're like that's that's way that's out of my pay grade. I don't need to know how my phone works and Wi Fi works and you know, online streaming works. It just does, right? How many of you are like, it just does? Like that's like, you know, you know. And some of you are like, I gotta know everything. I wanna know how it But there is a benefit to knowing how things work. There really is a benefit to it. Right? Even even your car. Right, you know, it's kind of cool growing up, you know, I remember, my, I remember my dad, we had that season, you know, it's time to teach you how to change your oil, your own oil, you know, and, and you know, how it works and why you do it in and necessity. And, and it really helps your, your understanding of what might be wrong with your car when you just get to know a little bit about how it works, right? And I was thinking about that, you know, that I'm trying to just, I'm thinking about this, how it works, the way things work, and I'm like, wait, that's what we're talking about here. When it comes to sanctification, spiritual growth, a lot of us may never have taken the time or thought it really important to ask yourself, well, how does this work? You know, quick show of hands and show of hands at home. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? How many of you want spiritual growth? How many of you would like to bear the fruit of my journey? Okay. Well, how does that work? How's that work? Because I'm guessing somewhere along you're at church because you picked up somewhere that this is a part of it. And if you read your Bible, maybe you've picked up, well, that's a part of it. and, And you're supposed to pray. And you're supposed to, and you're supposed to, and you're supposed to. But I don't know if we ever really approached it from the sense of, well, how does this work? We all wanna be like Jesus. We all want wanna understand the biblical call to be more Christ-like, be transformed. But how does it work? How does what you're doing right at this very moment, whether you're here or joining us online, how does this work in the big picture of your transformation? Or are we just doing something we're supposed to do because this is what we're supposed to do? And it can radically change your approach to your spiritual growth, your sanctification, if you'll reframe this, maybe, this journey through Philippians, what we've been through the last few weeks, from, how does this work? I, I don't want to, I, I'm going to take responsibility for my spiritual growth, which means I need to know how this works. Now, there might be a time as a new believer where someone comes along and says, hey, you know, you should really do this, starting the Gospel of John, good men's group would be good, women's group, you know, maybe come to it, and, 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 Correctly and lovingly, people were shepherding you into in the to-dos, the, the basics of your faith, but maybe they didn't really explain to you the why, which means how. Why? Why do we do this? Which is really asking, how does this tie into how this works? right? Or you maybe have, have come to church or been to church, and you see somebody who really grows and matures, or you consider a, a spiritual giant in your eyes you know they pray really good and they really know the bible and they're serving and maybe you scratch your head like how did they get there how how is that were they lucky right what how did how did how did they grow and because if you don't know the how then you might just say that oh you know they're the they're the spiritual a team and i'm just on the jv Right? And you relegate yourself to the JV because you never took the time to figure out how they got to the quote unquote varsity, if that's what you want to call it. Because the how to is open to everybody. Amen? See, he says he's given all of us everything we need for life and godliness. Right? So point to the person or just lovingly say to the person around you, saying, That means you. Go ahead. That that, that means you. Right? So it's not just for the people on this side of the microphones. And it's not just for the people that are the leads or the ministry directors. Every believer has been given everything you need for life and godliness. Some of us may just have studied or or taken the time to really say, well, how does it work, then?" If we've all been given the same tool chest, how does it work? And that's really... Uh, a great way to look at what we've been looking at Philippians 2, 12, and 13, right? It's a letter from the apostle Paul to the believers in Philippi. And in verse uh, 12 and 13, he says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that's verse 12 and that work out, that's where many of us latch on to. Oh, work out, go to church, read your Bible. Pray, give, serve, work out, work out. We latch onto that in our sort of performancey doing mindset, right? But then he, he radically shifts to verse 13. He says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And now, a lot of us, again, we amen that, but that's the verse, that's the part that we tend to gloss over. We're like, oh, that's cool. Right? Verse 12, work out your salvation. Bring it to conclusion with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to do. Oh, yeah, that's cool too. Because we're so focused, focused on ourselves and working out this radical, supernatural, miraculous truth that God himself works in you through the power of the Holy Spirit to change your desires and to empower you to do his will, we just sort of like, oh, that's cool. We flip it. In your mind and in my mind, your spiritual growth and transformation will be radically shifted if you will like, and flip those two verses. Hey, God works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Therefore, work out your salvation from the inside out. Amen? Amen? God working in me to change my desires and supernaturally empower me through the indwelling Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, God, in me enables me now to go out and work it out. A lot of us hit the ground running and are working out and tend to call on God when we need him in a crisis. Otherwise, I'm good to go. That's the paradigm shift. That's the paradigm shift, right? Lehman Strauss says this, we work and God works. It is a mutual effort toward the common goal of glorifying God in our lives. Here is a blending and interacting of God's sovereign grace and power and man's free will. God works in us, but we dare not be passive. The Holy Spirit abides in the believer, and he is never more pleased than when we are working out, that which he has worked in. But remember, while God has assumed the responsibility for in-working, we are responsible for the out-working. See, a lot of us, you might have heard the phrase, oh, my Christian walk, How's your walk? Oh, it's ups and downs. I have a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Really, it's ins and outs. It's working in and working out, not just ups and downs, right? So, So there's this cooperative effort, But we have to reframe it, and it starts with God, not me. It starts with God. That's why you could wake up every morning and say, God, thank you that I have breath. I have another day on this planet for you to give me your desires and empower me to do your will today. Versus, God, here's my plan. Can you just sign off on the bottom and amen this for me? And if I need you throughout the day, I'll check in radical transformation to wake up and say, thank you for another day of life. Father, I yield, I submit. Philippians 2.13 says, you're working in me to will and to desire and empower. You're empowering me to do your will today. That's what I want. Whether it's at work, whether it's with my spouse, whether it's with my kids, my friends, I want to be led by you to do what pleases you today. Amen? And when you do that, You are being transformed in that doing. See, a lot of us, again, we equate working out our salvation with big events. Go to Mexico. Do this. Do that. Kind of like these marker events. Nothing wrong with them. But your transformation, your working out, is in the minutia of your everyday life. The minutia. How you respond to that text. How you respond to that person. How you respond when you get cut off driving how you handle your finances. What comes out of your mouth. Your attitude. In the minutia and the mundane and the routineness of life is where we truly grow as Christians. There's a time and a place for the big celebrations. Women's event was fabulous. Time and a place for that. Homes of hope. Go build a home. Place and a time for that. But honestly, you and I grow in the mundane things of life. The daily caring for a sick one, paying your bills on time. It's, it's, it's that where, that's where we grow. I was a youth pastor for, for many, many years. That's where I started ministry. And my challenge in youth ministry was we want the kids to come, and when they come on midweek, we want to give them a good time. Right, so we'll we'll do it well, we have music, we'll set it up, we have a themed out room, we'll run games, the message is always up, right? We wanna hoot and holler and da, da 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 da. And in the back of my mind, the challenge was are we actually just teaching students, teenagers, that Christianity is a big party? Like their view of Christianity is youth group, which means celebration. Music, food, video games, hoorah. nothing wrong with any of it until they get home and it's mundane, boring homework, listen to your parents. Rubber meets the road, right? And and again, that was my challenge is trying to bring them and give them a a good time, nothing wrong with that, when we're at youth group, but then trying to say, hey, but you know what, you're really going to grow in your faith when you have to go to school tomorrow, And show respect and do all that kind of stuff. Well, that's the same thing with us as adults. That's the same thing with us. We work out our salvation in the mundane routine things of life. But if it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit to please God, it's anything but mundane. Amen? It's anything but. Okay, so sometimes if you're looking at someone, you're like, how did they grow? How did they get to that place of maturity? If you ask them, they're just going to say, you know what? It was in the mundane and boring things of my life. And, and you might actually be disappointed because there was no grand visit from an angel. And there was no, they never heard God's voice. And they never had this supernatural experience. They're like, ah, you know what? Yeah. How did, how did I grow? Well, I was really lousy with my money. And then I just decided to be a good steward of my money. And I grew. And I used to cuss like a sailor, but, you know, God changed that, and I just decided not to cuss like a sailor anymore. It's just in the mundane things, the everydayness, day in, day out, day in, day out. It's called a walk, step by step by step. And then you look back and you go, whoa, look what God has done, okay? So there's this cooperative effort in the mundane, routine things of life. And and then I was like, okay, so let's let's try to put some meat around this this. God working in me to will and to do, giving desire power, me being responsible and commanded to do something with it, right? So last week we looked at Psalm thirty-seven, four, which is really at the desire level. Okay, if God wants to change my desires, it says God works in me to will. God works in me to give me his desires. How can I tap into that? What can I do so that my desires begin to become his desires? Because how many of you... Like me, the minute I kind of slide away from being in the Spirit in God's way, my desires are my desires. It's that that quick, right? Right? I, mean my. So we saw last Sunday, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Again, that's not a Santa Claus verse. It's not like, I'm going to read my Bible so I get my Tesla. No, that's not what that's saying. What that is saying is if I delight myself in the Lord, if I love the Lord, if I spend time in the Lord with prayer and in fellowship at church, and if I'm in his word, okay, he will give me his desires. He will change my desires, right? I like what Warren Worsby says this. When our delight is in the love of God, our desires will be in the will of God. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, we will want the things that delight him. Amen? You see, that is a far cry from what many of us may be in raised with or how we view sanctification is like finger wagging. External in. External, right? Outside in. Right? Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not right? When truly what that verse says, and what going back to Philippians 2, 12 and 13, what we should be focusing on is delighting in him. Because if I focus on delighting in him, Psalm 37, 4 says, he will change my desires, which means I just will not want to do what I shouldn't be doing. Amen? It's inside out. It's a heart transformation. I don't need someone to be wagging their finger at me. In fact, if you're like me, if someone wags their finger at me, what does that do? It just is like... I'll show you, you're not the boss of me, right? Bill and I joke. I've known Bill almost 20 years now. Bill jokes, and he'll he'll admit, like, Bill, Bill, if there's a line, Brother Bill is of the persuasion that he just had to get right up to that line. Right? Amen, right? He's like one of those, like, line touchers. Right there. Right there. Any other line touchers in the room? Like right. when you're told, like, don't cross that line. <laughs> you just you just gotta just to prove a point, right? Yeah. Well, that's kinda like I think if, if you're raised with that outside in, sort of heavy handed, like finger wagging as a believer, you know, mostly like Christianity is a bunch of don'ts. What does that do? It just stirs up your flesh. That's called the law. That's what the law did. It stirred up your flesh. The new covenant gives you a new heart. You delight yourself in the Lord. He gives you a new desire, which means Bill doesn't even want to go near the line. Bill just doesn't want to anymore. Why not? Because going near the line wouldn't please God. And now he's about pleasing God. Amen? You see the radical? And now everyone has so much more freedom. Because I don't have to watch how close he gets to the line. And he doesn't have to do this. And we're all just doing what God wants to do. Amen? That is this radical inside-out paradigm shift that we, many of us just need to get back to the freedom in Christ. And we've been focusing, I think, so much in the church on external behaviors, okay, that we lost sight of it's an inside-out heart issue. We just got to get back to delighting in the Lord, loving the Lord, giving him permission to change our desires. And if your desires change, guess what changes as a result? Your behavior, right? I'll often say, you know, in counseling and 30 years of doing this, people do what they want to do. People do what they want to do. Why are you here at church today? Because you wanted to. Let's just be honest. Don't get all spiritual on me. You just wanted to. Amen. You wanted to. And why aren't people at church, I'm not talking about you alone, but people who, who aren't in church at all, why aren't they in church? Because they don't want to. Sometimes we just get, we get way too thinky and spiritual, about lot of stuff. People do what they want to do. Well, if people do what they want to do, Psalm 37, 4 says, I better delight myself in the Lord, so I just want to do what he wants me to do. If I'm going to do what I want to do, then I'm going to delight in the Lord, so what I want to do is what he wants me to do. And who wins? We both do. He gets glorified. And here's the crazy thing. When you and I desire to do what he wants to do, and we do what he wants to do, we reap the benefit. Isn't that crazy? Again, some of us have this, I don't know where we got in this, like, obeying God is like taking medicine. Honestly, some of us have this view that obedience is like taking medicine, which means, here you go, Ernie. It's good for you. Open your mouth. Choo choo choo, 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 right? And you obey because it's good for you. And you almost do it begrudgingly. I I don't, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's, it's supposed to be, a, obedience is supposed to be love and joy and, and you know, and, and and yet we turn it. Where did we turn that? Okay? So delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I was saying, Lord, where else in Scripture can we focus on this inside-out sanctification? Where else does Jesus, or we one of the uh, apostles, where, uh, one of the letters, where, where is there anywhere else where we can examine this desire to be godly, to bear fruit, but it being from the inside out, right? And honestly, I, I thought of John 15, okay? Now, in John 15, just kind of set this... Set the scene. Uh, Jesus and his disciples—they are—they have left the upper room. Okay, at the end of John 14. Jesus says, "Let's get out of here." They leave the upper room where he had washed their feet. They had had a supper. Right? Judas had betrayed him. That whole deal happened in John 13. At the end of John 14, Jesus says, "Hey, we're going to let's go to the garden." So they're on the way to the garden of Gethsemane. Okay. So as they're walking. Jesus tells them a story or an illustration, gives them a word picture about bearing fruit. This is what he says in John 15, 1 to 5. Hey, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, it's an, it's a metaphor. It's a word picture Usually when they do this, if it's a parable, there's one main point. And and the main point of this is talking about abiding. He's talking about this dependent relationship. And out of this relationship comes fruit in our lives. And again, it's kind of like where we were, where we tend to focus on trying to make the fruit appear in our life. We all want fruit. I want to see fruit. But if we're not careful, we miss the whole point of John 15 where we become the source of the fruit. And we begin to work really hard to produce the fruit in my life. In John 15, just like Philippians 2.13 says, time out. Who here wants fruit? Who here wants fruit? If you don't, that's fine too, right? If you want fruit, this is another passage that says, well, this is how it works. So if you're desirous of spiritual fruit in your life, you should look at this passage, well, okay, I better read the instruction manual. How many of you here have a hard time reading instruction manuals? Looking at maps, well in maps, that's, I just dated myself, right? I just way dated myself, y'all, it's like Google Maps and Siri, right? Back in the day, how many of you had trouble looking at a map? Directions, right? Instruction manual, ah, I just figure it out. I just figure out, I don't need to read, you know, that instruction manual in five languages, <laughs> right? Well, a lot of us are like, I don't need the instruction manual. I got this spiritual fruit thing. Right? I got this. Well, this is, this is instruction manual. Philippians two, twelve and 13, it's instruction manual time. So what does that mean? You have to sit down, take a deep breath. For some of us, stop pouting and say, okay, how does this work? Okay, how does this work? Well, this is how it works. And we're going to walk through this. Uh, we're we're going to do a couple verses today, and, and next week I think we'll, we might finish because this is so foundational. Philippians 2, 12, and 13, those great memory verses, you've got you to understand. It's just as important as John 15 in how this works. If you're a young believer, if you've been walking with the Lord for five decades, this is how it works. And a lot of us, we don't have joy we're spun up under works. We're, we're spun up under fear and duty and obligation. You're living in fear. You're not experiencing the abundant life Jesus wants for you as a believer because you never take time to figure out how it works and then operate under the guidelines, okay? So Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The true means genuine, real. I am the true vine. It's a, it's a statement of his deity, of him being Messiah, Okay? The vine's the root or the trunk. It's the part of the grapevine that comes out of the ground. Vine dresser, defined as one who tills. This is the expert, okay? And so you get the picture. I am the vine. Here's the vine dresser. What is the goal? Fruit. Okay, don't, very important. Because if I were to ask you, what is your goal? How, what is your goal as a believer You being here should fit the bigger picture. This isn't the end all. But a lot of us, if you've been with a believer for any length of the time, church, prayer, and fellowship, let's just say that, those three become the end all. They're no longer part of bearing fruit. You're not pursuing fruit. You're not doing it to stay abiding in the vine. You're doing it because you're supposed to. This is no longer part of a bigger vision in your life. That's why if you have a bigger vision to bear fruit and be more like Jesus, you're more excited to come to church because this fits the bigger plan. If this is the end all, ah, I've arrived. Cruise control, right? To Push the button, just go into cruise control because you already have arrived. The spiritual disciplines in your life fit the bigger picture, the goal of bearing fruit, okay? So there's a vine, there's a vine dresser. Remember, the goal is to bear fruit, not just to be the vine and the vine dresser and call it good. That's not that's not the point. Okay? Verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Remember, he, God, the Father, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, Jesus, the vine, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So in this verse, there's two branches. Okay, I, you can keep all right, Jordan, keep that up for a bit. There's two branches. One branch does not bear fruit, right? He takes away. Then there's another branch that does. We're going to camp just a little bit here on, on these branches because it's very important. Very important because this verse has been misused, proof-texted, mistakenly or intentionally used to try to teach the doctrine that you can lose your salvation. And that's not what this is teaching it's not what the Bible teaches, okay? So it says in the first part of John fifteen two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And some people say, oh, see? He's talking about Christians who don't bear fruit. You lose, you're going to lose your salvation. he take you away, kick you out of the church. And if you, if you buy into that, man, that just sends you down the road of fear and works. Because how would you ever know if you're good enough anymore? And that just destroys grace, right? That's not what he's talking about. There's two really important principles of Bible study that you need to incorporate and and are really uh, brought home in this particular passage. Number one is context. Whenever you come across a verse, you have to understand the context of it. And you got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Two principles, okay? When you come across a verse... You have to know what the context is, the surrounding context, and in the bigger picture, scripture has you have to let scripture interpret scripture, which means if you come across a verse, you've got to look at the whole Bible. Because the Bible will never contradict itself. Amen. Very important. Two very important principles: context and let scripture interpret scripture. Okay? So in, in John 15, too, remember, Jesus in context he's walking with his boys they stop many people think there was a vineyard very common he tells them this story every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit so in context they're coming just right off of john 13 where judas right judas had betrayed jesus and jesus had called it out hey one of you are going to betray me right so in verse Three, right, we get this clue as to how to properly interpret this passage. In verse 3 of John 15, it says this. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He's speaking to his disciples. But in, in context, very important. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He's speaking to everyone but Judas. He's not talking to Judas here. Judas had already left, okay? In John 13, 10, look at what he said. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, he's talking to Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Talking about Judas. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said not all of you are clean. Okay, so what's the point? The point is, in the context of this verse, when Jesus says, every branch that in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He's talking about Judas. He's talking about Judas. Okay? He's not talking about solid, saved, born-again believers being taken away because they lost their salvation. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? He's talking in reference, in context, he's talking to Judas. Now, the other principle of let Scripture interpret Scripture the Bible does not teach that believers can lose their salvation. Okay? John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of, my, out of the Father's hand. Ephesians 1. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy, with the promised Holy Spirit. Amen? You're sealed. Look at this. Who is the what? Guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. When you put your faith in Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of your salvation. Amen? Okay? Romans 8.38. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So there is the security of salvation. There's other verses. Okay, so John 15.2 is not a lose your salvation moment he's speaking about judas and that's confirmed about the security of your salvation it's confirmed letting scripture interpret scripture amen we good okay so then you're like but wait what's the application well he's kind of talking about here wasn't judas hanging out with him for like three years right so when when he says in in verse two every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away He's not talking like in me, like those in the Apostle Paul's letters. who says in Christ, genuine believers. He's talking about here, every branch in me is like, hey, you know people that kind of hang out at church? He's talking about people that kind of talk the talk, say they're a Christian, but don't really bear the fruit in their life. He's talking about them. Now, one person calls it being a professor versus a possessor you profess to be a Christian, but you don't possess the Holy Spirit. You don't really possess Christ. You profess, but you don't possess. He's talking about people who kinda aren't really saved, but they sure look good and they sure can talk and they might even know the Bible and they might even serve and they might even be a pastor and they're not even saved. That's what he's talking about. You look like you're connected to Jesus but your life is not bearing fruit. That's what he's talking about. And in fact, uh, Carrie yesterday at the women's event, and Carrie, if you're watching, you did a phenomenal job, thank you. Carrie spoke about her journey and Yaro's journey that when they first met, they, they got in their process of getting to know each other. They found out that they had grown up in the church and were familiar with the things of church. But she was, she was very honest. She said at that point, we weren't saved. She called them cultural Christians. And then in her journey, she shared with the ladies where she came to faith. And they both realized that now we're saved. Before, we just knew a lot about God. And we were familiar with the things of church, but we were, which which again, cultural Christians. We were professors but really didn't possess Christ. Okay? Because there should be fruit. Remember, when you come to faith, you are born again. When you are born again, the Bible says you are given a new heart a new nature. You want the things of God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It does not mean you live a perfect life and sing kumbaya and, you know, every, you, no. What it means is your general bent, your general nature now wants the things of God. Amen? That is in general, okay? It's, an, it's, a, it's a supernatural rebirth, Literal supernatural rebirth, that's being born again with a new nature. The rest of your time on this planet, you're just working it out, okay? 1 John 3, 6 helps us to kind of get this picture. He says this, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. What does this mean? It means if someone professes to be a, a Christian and they're natural and they're, they're, they're bent, their lifestyle is still all about the things of the world and sinning and living for themselves, there's a good chance there's never been a real change. That's what that verse says. There should just be at the core level fruit. What is the fruit? A desire for the things of God at the core level, right? Right? And then it's like, yeah, but so-and-so was at church, and they were so on fire, and now they don't even want to come to church. Now they think it's dumb, and now they just, right? What happens? I, I thought they were a Christian because they were so on fire. Well, look at 1 John two nineteen. They went out from us, which means they bailed, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. It means, you know what, and I saw this with youth ministry for years and years. Kids would get, go to Hume Lake, get fired up, and make all these great things and decisions for Jesus and come home, and just like that, went back to their old ways. They were never. They got caught up in the emotional, the emotional hype of Hume Lake, and nothing on Hume Lake, but the emotionalism and all of that of going to camp. They made this, you know, they might even have gone forward. But they went forward because their friends went forward. They didn't really have a heart change. So that verse, uh, 1 John 2, 19 says, yeah, they disappeared, but they were never really saved. It's not that they lost their salvation. They were never saved. They never had a rebirth. That's what's going on. And I know that's like, oh, you can't judge. I know I don't know anyone's heart. All Jesus says, you know a tree by its fruit. And sometimes you have to step out. It's not that you don't love them. It's not that you're being critical or judgmental. Sometimes you got to step out and say, bro, you're saying you want to walk with the Lord. You're saying this and this, but I'm just not seeing it, bro. Like, let's, let's just talk. Let's just, let's, let's just be real with each other. Where are you really at with Jesus? Sometimes you got to have that conversation because with all the love in your heart, you don't see a change. Okay, that's what they're saying here, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name and go build homes in Mexico and go to youth group, right? Didn't we do all these great things, go to church on Sunday at the well? Didn't we tune in online, 10 a.m.? He says, then, I, I, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. And so there is a moment, right, where, where later, when Bill takes us into the time of communion, the Bible says, examine yourself. Not in fear, but just examine yourself. Right? Lord, where am I with you? And, and it's not, you know, again, it's not a perfection trip, and it's not like designed, for, oh, gosh, I sinned yesterday. Maybe I'm not saying No, 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 no. It's not about getting wound up in fear and all that kind of stuff about, oh, man. No. It's just about being real. And that's what he's saying. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit takes away Jesus just real honest they, they looked like they were connected to me, but they weren't. And how do you know they didn't bear fruit? Okay? But then he says, and, okay, and, I, and, and we're going to move forward. He says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay? Now, this is really important. Every branch, believe, believers, genuine believers, right? In process. If you're bearing fruit, something's about to happen to you. What? You're about to get what? Okay, you're about to get whacked. Right. Leave that up, Jordan. It says, every branch that does, does, everyone say does, okay, bear fruit. Is that a good thing? Is bearing fruit a good thing? Okay, look like at this. He what? Row, row. What's the purpose of the pruning? oh, you mean he doesn't prune you because you're horrible? You mean he doesn't prune you just to remind you of how short you fall every day? And you should, yeah, you should be a half-empty Christian and you shouldn't be joyful. You see, many of us, again, we take pruning and God's discipline as signs that we're on the JV and he's just putting up with us. When truth be known, according to this verse, he sees fruit in you, He's like, sweet. Where's my scissors, Bobby? Where's my shears, brother? I got some stuff for you. But why? Why? Because you have more fruit. Who here wants more fruit? Careful. Fruit's not coming with the shears. (laughs) It's a good thing. Excuse me, it's a good thing, amen? It's a good thing. We should embrace the pruning because Father sees something in your life. And not only does he say, hey, good fruit. Just stay there. He's like, hey, good job. I see fruit. I see more potential in you. I see more potential in you. I see more potential in you. Kimmy. Right? Now, what's what's interesting is, is that this word prune, right? You said, what'd you say? Snip, snip, or whack, whack whatever it is. But a lot of us think of pruning as just like, right? That's not even really what it means in the Greek. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So Father, the vine dresser, it says he's gonna prune every branch that does bear fruit so that it, bear, it's all good, right? Now, what's interesting is the word prune actually means cleanse. Yeah. Actually means cleanse. And 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 it's crazy because I thought before, right? Oh yeah, prune that means cut, cut off things, right? And and what he's saying in this verse is that he's going to prune you but it's a cleansing. It, it, it's a purifying process designed to get you to bear more fruit. There's a great purpose behind it, right? And, and you know, it's interesting when you're a pastor, the things that you end up learning that you never thought you would learn. So I'm studying this, and I'm going down this alley. And next thing I know, I'm studying about how to grow grapes, like Things I never thought. So so it's amazing because I love the word of God. The word prune is to cleanse, to purge, to cleanse from filth or impurity already, right? That's pruning. That's what this means. That's the word, to cleanse. And so I'm doing more research, and what happens is if, if grapes and like other plants, right? There's the vine and the branches come off it. Well, in the spring, these little shoots grow up, right? Little shoots. If you some of you like are gardeners, you know these little shoots that grow up. These little shoots are called suckers. They're called suckers. And there's a process in grape land, right, called suckering the vines. Okay? So Eileen, go back to the or Jordan, go back to the first one. Okay, so this is a this is a grapevine. You see the stem right here, it's all overgrown. Those are shoots, right, over there. Those are shoots or suckers, okay? Pruning is designed to get rid of the suckers, okay? It's called suckering. Go ahead, Jordan. Now, it's fascinating. Suckering is an ongoing process. These shoots usually appear in the spring, right, between April and May. Now, what's really interesting is the vine dressers will time it to sucker the vines when they first come out, and they're still very easy to remove by hand. By hand. If they wait too long, there's a phrase they, they call they call it, lignify. And they, lignify means they, they, they're there, and they grow to a place where they become rigid and wooden then it takes a lot more effort to sucker the vines, right? Why do they do this? To bear more fruit, right? And, and, and it's amazing. There's this process, right? Go ahead, Jordan, show the last one. There's a before and after. The one on the left, you see the vertical. There's the before with all the suckers and all the shoots. And then afterwards, it's been suckered. They suckered the vine. You see how it's cleaned up? It's all cleaned up, Right? Great. Now I'm like, oh, Jesus, you're so good. Because Father sees each one of us. And he wants to cleanse us from the suckers in our life. Because what do the suckers, what what do the shoots, the suckers do? They steal away the nutrients. They're stealing away things from the fruit. They're draining, right? They drain, they take away nutrients and things that are necessary to bear fruit. These suckers, these shoots need to be removed because they're a drain. And so the question for us this morning is what or who, what things in your life are the suits and the shuckers, the shuckers, are the the suckers that, that, that need to be removed? We've all got them. If you're honest, social media, entertainment, people in your life, they're not helping you bear fruit. They're actually, they're draining you. They're taking resources, energy, spiritual food, and it's hindering the fruit in your life. I mean, this is one of those moments where it would be pretty hilarious if we could put on the vine glasses, you know, and, and you know, Bobby, I, you know, I love you. I'm just going to use you. And all of a sudden we look at Bobby through these lenses like, whoa, Bobby, what is on your arm, bro? <laughs> and we got all this stuff all over us, right? And we're just like, dude, you really need to sucker the vine, right? Because, whoa, right? You, what are you? And you're wondering, like, why... Why aren't I growing anymore? Why, why do I feel stagnant? Well, maybe you just got 10,000 shoots that have grown up and you weren't diligent to get them before they hardened. Right, the vine dresser for, from spring, they're getting them because they keep coming but they get them before they harden because then you might need something bigger. And I wonder in our life, we just kind of get in routine and things come in and people come in and we develop habits And in the end, if we were to look back, they're suckers. And we wonder why I'm not bearing fruit. Well, you might need some pruning. You might need to go through some pruning. Why? So you can bear more fruit. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Some of us, you know, it's the end of the year, okay? And and whether or not you use this to... Seek the Lord for a vision for 2022 or a reflection. Some of us in 2021, you might have to do kind of like a sucker assessment here. It's, it's, it's an agricultural word, so I'm just going to keep using it. You might need to do a suckering the vine retreat. Where you like are honest and say, Father, can you show me the things in my life that are sapping that are, that are taking away from you bearing fruit. And here might be a hard thing. They might not necessarily be bad things. I'm not talking evil, wicked things either. I'm just talking like you might have overextended yourself and you got a whole lot of things in your life. And without knowing it, it's draining away from you bearing fruit. And Father says, we need to cleanse some of that so you can keep bearing fruit. Not because you're a horrible Christian. But because I see fruit in you, and I I see more fruit in you, Bobby, but we're going to have to prune some things. we got to cleanse some things for your benefit, for your benefit. Remember that. It's for your benefit, amen? It's all good because he sees something in you that you don't even see yet, amen? He sees something in you that you don't even see yet, so he wants to take you through a process to get you to where he sees you. That's crazy, Now, is it challenging? Oh, yeah. Right? And how will he do that? Primarily through his word. Power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. Word of God, living and active, right? I love 1 Thessalonians 2. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, here it is, which is at work in you believers. That word work is where we get the word energetic. It means superhuman power. It produces results. This is why, okay, how does it work? Read scripture, meditate on it. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's living and it's active and God, through his word, in this particular context, will start to show you things that need to be pruned, that need to be cleansed. He'll speak to you. Okay? Hebrews twelve eleven. you know, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. Look at Hebrews twelve eleven. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So you get into God's word. You delight yourself in God's word. You say, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to be a hearer and a doer. Holy Spirit, teach me. Bring application. And in that process, it might bring some discipline because you allow things to grow and you're not being diligent. And it might be like, oh, man. And this is where you might need to bring some people into your life. Right? Because we all have our blind spots. And if I let Mark into my life and say, Mark, what do you see? He might say, hey, man, I see some shoots. I see some suckers in your life. How are you doing with these? And you just have a discussion. And I can receive it because I know he wants my best, right? This is the value of why we need to love and encourage one another, because we all have our blind spots. And I might think that something in my life is okay, and it's just a thing, and it's not hurting anyone. And Mark might say, no, dude, that's a sucker. That's a shoot. I think I think that needs to be purged. And if I have a relationship with him, I can receive that. And then I can say, "Well, help me do that, please. Pray for me. Let's let's figure out how to do this." This is what we. This is what the church family does. We don't, we don't point fingers at each other, and we don't have guilt and condemnation. We come along each side each other, and hey, man, let me get some of them suckers off of you, and you get and you get some off of me too, right? This is this is one anothering. This is truly one anothering. Okay? So, John 15, 1 and 2 says this again I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, question for you here, question for you at home. It's called suckering the vines. What is God maybe saying to you? What is God saying to you about your life? What, what shoots maybe is he speaking to you about? Okay? That's the application. Right? Rather than saying, oh, is this a sin? And going down this list, oh, what movies? And da, 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 da. And we, we tend to get very like, oh, it's bad, it's bad. You know how you flip that in your life? You say, does this particular thing help me bear fruit? You just flip it. Because a lot of us are like, no, 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 no. That's sin. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Why don't you just flip that and say, I only want things in my life that are going to help me bear fruit. Everything else, I'm going to let go. Amen? That's the way you flip. And that's now you take control in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you're vision-centered. Now you're working to God's plan for you because now you're asking and you're desiring only things in your life that help you bear fruit. It's not a list of thou shalt not. it's like, this is all I want. And now you're empowered to say no to certain things. You can say yes to those that are helpful and no to those aren't helpful. That's freedom in Christ. That's joy. Now you're pursuing Christ-likeness because you're now focused on allowing things in your life that only help you bear fruit. People think, right? Okay, so just, again, Take time. End of the year, take time. Know that God has a plan for you. He sees fruit. Remember, every branch that does bear fruit. So if he wants to prune you, it's because he sees fruit. And he just sees more in you than you might see today. Isn't that phenomenal? He wants to prune you so you bear more fruit. And here's the crazy thing. The more fruit you bear, more joy, more joy more peace, more love. You will reap the benefit of the pruning in the abundant life that Jesus wants for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that the Bible really tells us how it works. How it works. It's you who work in us to will and to do. And then today you tell us the key is to abide in you, to let you produce the fruit. Our job is to allow you to remove, to cleanse, to prune the suckers, the shoots, the things and the people maybe in our life that actually drain away what you're trying to do. And I know that's not easy. We all have our blind spots. And... Uh, we're going to need you, Father, to enable us to do, like you said in Philippians two thirteen. So before we take communion, I just want to just give the church family just just a quiet just a quiet time for you to speak. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. That's our heart, Father, because it glorifies you. So we just pause and yield and allow you, Father, the vine dresser, to maybe speak even just one shoot, one sucker, that you would speak very clearly to us this morning that needs to be pruned away so that we can bear more. Fruit.